0: Welcome to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanis and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Over the next hour, you'll discover unique ideas and perspectives about how to improve your health and the planet as well. Now, here are your hosts, Jimena and Lorenzo.
1: Welcome, hello and bienvenidos. Thank you for tuning in to Healthy Planet, Healthy You. I am Lorenzo Rosenzweig, and I have dedicated more than 40 years of my life to the natural world and its conservation as an environmentalist. I am also a writer, a photographer, an amateur naturalist, a grandfather of six, next December, happily seven. And I am also a watercolor artist and a science and nature fiction fan.
2: Yeah, well, bienvenidos. Hello, happy Wednesday. So excited to be here with you. My name is Jimena Yañez. I am an author, a health coach, and a Reiki and biomagnetism therapist. After 23 years in the field of conservation and more than 10 years studying integrative health and nutrition, I've understood how to make our diets sustainable and nutrient-packed with less impact on the environment. What is good and new for you, Lorenzo?
1: Well, Jimena, I'm very happy to be back from Guatemala, where I spent the week at MarFund's meetings. MarFund, the Mesoamerican Reef Fund, is a regional environmental fund that supports conservation of the Mesoamerican Reef through innovative conservation finance tools. During the meeting, we discussed, among many other things, promising strategies to help conserve a recently discovered marine treasure consistent of 90 square kilometers of pristine coral formations unknown to science and the conservation community a decade ago. So what is good and new for you, Jimena?
2: Well, first of all, congratulations for finding that and good news for that biodiversity at sea. Well, Lauren, so I'm I'm very good, thank you. Visiting New York now. (laughs) And I'm very excited about today's show as health and wellness are at the top of my favorite topics. Every week, we engage in casual conversations to help you understand what is really going on, considering there's a lot of conflicting information on the news and social media. Information has become overly confusing because as one research states a conclusion, another one contradicts it immediately. The amount and diversity of information we're exposed to keep us on a roller coaster of inconsistencies. What was good a few years ago isn't good anymore and vice versa. We want you to exercise your right to decide for yourself so we offer facts that you can double check later on your own.
1: Exactly. So allow us to tell you the story of how we got into the current environmental and health crisis, what are the odds if we fail to act during the next 7 to 10 years, and what are the things you can do for your personal benefit and at the same time to support global efforts towards a healthy planet.
2: Yes. In previous episodes, we have been sharing interesting data and information regarding climate change, water, biodiversity, and healthy healthy living soils. Our intention is to keep building up so you don't get just information but knowledge. The last episode was all about healthy soils, one of the most biodiverse ecosystems on the planet and the foundation of human health and well-being. Healthy soils influence human health because they shape a beneficial human microbiome, suppress pathogens, and promote immune fitness.
1: Yeah, and sadly, soil degradation is causing significant losses in biodiversity and ecosystem services and compromising the well-being and health of at least 3.2 billion people around the world. Unfortunately, soils are considered a non-renewable resource because their formation is a slow process. It takes hundreds of years to create an inch of soil, whereas to lose one inch of soil, it won't take a minute.
2: Yeah, that's sad. And regarding their connection to your health, here is a piece of interesting information that you might not know. Soil microbes are very much like the microbes that reside inside inside your digestive system, your microbiome. So to be able to recover our health and thrive, we need to get back to our roots. And everything starts with the soil.
1: Yes, all living organisms on the planet need to eat. For herbivores and carnivores, the cycle seems really simple. First, healthy living soils with the exact amount of moisture we allow, allow seeds to sprout. Then, plants grows thanks to the energy from the sun, forming symbiotic relationships with soil microorganisms to acquire chemical compounds that will keep them healthy And help them grow strong. Mm -hmm. Herbivores will eat the plants and take advantage of those nutrients and chemical compounds for their own benefit. And finally, carnivores will eat herbivores. Pretty simple, right?
2: (laughs) Right, it should be simple, except that in reality it's not. (laughs) See, conventional agriculture is based on monocropping, And as soils are used for one crop over and over, they lose their microbial diversity and are depleted of nutrients. Here is a piece of interesting information for you. Long-term studies have demonstrated that fruits and vegetables grown years ago were much richer in vitamins, minerals, flavor compounds, and antioxidants than the varieties most of us get today. Today's agricultural practices are designed to improve traits like size, growth rate, and pest resistance rather than nutrition. And sadly, each successive generation of fast growing pest resistant plant is less good for you or livestock, as they lack key nutrients for body functions such as growth and development, heartbeat regulation, bone building, and nervous system performance.
1: Yes, as we have seen before, conventional agriculture involves deforestation, which releases carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Additionally, poor agricultural practices like tillage harm the microbial biodiversity, reducing the soil capacity for infiltration and water storage, and compromising its ability to sequester carbon from the atmosphere. We have already mentioned that if current rates of degradation continue, all the world's topsoil will be gone within 60 years. As soils are depleted from biodiversity and nutrients, conventional farming uses nitrogen-based fertilizers that also contain phosphorus and potassium. We have also, in previous episodes, talked about these fertilizers releasing nitrous oxide into the atmosphere and leading to the eutrophication of massive water bodies.
2: Yeah, we have talked about that. And this level of damage is only considering the preparation of soil. Now, let's talk about the seeds. Conventional agriculture does, does not use seeds as Mother Nature designed them. Conventional agricultural practices relied on bioengineered seeds or also known as genetically modified organisms or GMOs.
1: Yes, according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, known as FDA, GMOs, or genetically modified organisms, are a common part of our food supply, and it's very likely you are eating foods and food products that are made with ingredients that come from GMO crops. GMO crops are used to make ingredients such as cornstarch, corn syrup, corn, soybean, and canola oils, and granulated sugar, stone fresh fruits and vegetables, are also available in GMO varieties, including corn, potatoes, summer squash, apples, papayas, and pineapples. But most of the GMOs that we eat are found in packaged foods. Mm -hmm. Although some GMOs are in the foods we eat, most of the GMO crops grown in the United States are used for livestock feed.
2: Yes, and it's true that for centuries, Humans have experimented with genetics to combine plant genes to make better and more convenient foods for the benefit of humanity. However, GMOs, which have been on the market since the 1990s, are different. GMOs are designed by inserting genetic information from bacteria into plants. Now, very important questions for you to consider. How does this genetic alteration improve the nutritional content of plants for the benefit of humankind? It doesn't. The only goal is to make plants resistant to glyphosate, a very toxic herbicide. And I really would love if you by now are thinking, why? (laughs) And sadly, the only purpose of GMOs is to make the food industry more profitable. That's it. The FDA guarantees that GMOs are harmless to humans. They say, and I quote, GMO produces proteins that are toxic to certain insects, but not to humans, pets, livestock, or other animals. However, let me ask you another question. (laughs) Are you absolutely sure that you are 100% human? (laughs) Imagine mixing all your cells in a blender and randomly taking 10 cells out of that mix. How many of those cells would you say are human? Mm -hmm. I'll give you a couple of seconds to think about it. (laughs) Now, brace yourself, because the answer might blow your mind. Only one of those 10 cells is human. So what are the other nine? They are the trillions of microbes that assemble your microbiome, which resides mostly inside your digestive system, your gut. To put it simply, we are just a few human cells Clinging onto a massive colony of microbes.
1: Wow, that's an interesting notion. Yes, and believe it or not, these trillions of microbes are incredibly necessary for your health and well being as they train your immune system, are key players for digestion and absorption of nutrients, communicate with the brain, produce hormones such as serotonin, the feel happy hormone, mm-hmm. and exchange life supporting information with your human cells just to mention some. In fact, microbes have the ability to swap genetic information in seconds. So think about the bacterial genetic information inserted into the plant DNA. As your microbiome is conform of millions of microbes, science cannot possibly understand how GMOs will interact with each one of them.
2: Yeah, think about that amount of microbes, trillions. <clears throat> now, to make these GMO monocrops grow, they are heavily sprayed with pesticides and a very toxic herbicide, glyphosate, which its commercial name is Roundup. And even when these plants are engineered not to die, that doesn't mean it doesn't affect them. The plants absorb the chemicals and deliver their toxicity to the next link in the food chain. And remember that pesticides and herbicides such as glyphosate decimate soil microbial diversity, and kill other species of plants and insects, even when the FDA assures they are designed not to kill beneficial insects such as ladybugs.
1: Also, glyphosate is an all-pervasive substance which means it never goes away and it gets into the soil and water systems. Aquifers get contaminated with glyphosate that filters down into the freshwater sources And remember that fresh water is around 3% of the total water on the planet. However, less than one third of this 3% is what's available for consumption. And substances like glyphosate are constantly polluting our reserves. Mm -hmm. Glyphosate also evaporates and goes into the air and the clouds and then rains down on us. It is just immersed in the hydrological cycle. Just imagine that if we do stop spraying glyphosate today, it will take about 50 years before ecosystems go below the toxic level.
2: Yeah, toxicity everywhere. Well, some of the GMO crops go into processed foods and drinks and a very small portion into human consumption. But most of it is used to feed livestock and in industrial farms. And here are some interesting stats. More than 95% of animals used for meat and dairy in the U.S. eat GMO crops. Number two... Worldwide, 70% of all crops are used to feeding livestock in industrial farms. Number three, 70% of all available fresh water goes to agriculture. And four, between feed crops and industrial farms, livestock takes 77% of the world's agricultural lands and interestingly, only produces 18% of the world's calories and 37% of total protein. Industrial farms are places where animals are concentrated and enclosed in very small spaces with little or no room to move. These animals are fed GMOs that, as we've seen, not only lack essential nutrients, but are loaded with toxic chemicals. These animals do not develop in their normal environments and do not eat their natural foods. So to prevent premature death and make them grow, they're given antibiotics and hormones that will accumulate in your tissues and will be delivered yet. Yes, <laughs> to the next link of the food chain. Wow. <laughs>
1: remember, the, the livestock produces methane as a result of the natural enteric fermentation of ruminants, which remember in other episodes, we said it was cow farts and burps. The <laughs> large number of animals concentrated in industrial farms outsizes the methane problem and presents another environmental complication. They need to handle manure, which also pollutes water and air.
2: Yeah. And to close the cycle, you, me, and a lot of people end up eating plant foods depleted from nutrients and loaded with glyphosate and pesticides, animal foods that that have accumulated those, those toxic chemicals, as well as hormones and antibiotics, and processed foods empty from any nutritional content. Furthermore, these foods disturb your microbiome and provoke persistent inflammation in your body as they have a high content of saturated fats and omega-6 fatty acids from vegetables, vegetable oils designed to preserve the shelf life of every processed food. The FDA says, and I quote again, independent studies show that there is no difference in how GMOs and non-GMOs foods affect the health and safety of animals. The DNA in the GMO foods does not transfer to the animal that eats Mm. it. Animals that um, eat GMO foods do not turn into GMOs. If it did, an animal would have the DNA of any food it ate GMO or not. In other words, cows do not become the grass they eat and chickens don't become the corn they eat. However, animals and humors are what they, what they eat, of course, not because of the DNA in those foods, but because their nutrients make the building blocks of every single cell in our bodies. Toxic and nutrient deficient foods will shape a toxic and nutrient deficient body, animal or human. So, indeed, everything starts with the solo.
1: And and definitely, our eating habits are crucial for our health. So you might be asking, who regulates GMOs? Three federal agencies within the US government work together to regulate them. The US Food and Drug Administration, FDA, the US Environmental Protection Agency, EPA, and the US Department of Agriculture, USDA. On their websites, they guarantee us that they are taking constant measures to ensure that GMOs are safe for human plant and animal health. These agencies are supposed also to monitor the impact of GMOs on the environment. Sadly, we have seen that these organisms do more harm than good.
2: Yes, and GMOs have been in the market since the 1990s, but instead of having solved the health and environmental crisis, we're seeker and with more environmental problems than ever. And let me ask you another question. Have you struggled or are struggling with medical conditions or know someone that is? It seems that in these times, the standard is being sick and fatigued. The number of people dealing with chronic or autoimmune conditions is on the rise. We have a name for every disease and despite doctors cannot explain what caused certain uncurable disorders, at least we feel relieved because Our symptoms are real, and we have a name for that. We're facing a new set of mysterious diseases, and if there is something or someone to blame, it will be your own body. How many times have you heard your body is attacking itself or your body forgot how to do this or that? So the easiest thing to do is to numb your body with pills to hide the symptoms. Sadly, we keep blaming our bodies and not paying attention to what we're putting in them. And we're missing the most basic of all root causes. A toxic and nutrient deficient body is built by toxic and nutrient deficient foods.
1: Absolutely, Jimena. I agree on all that. Well, we are approaching our first break. When we come back, we'll talk about Jimena's journey to becoming a health professional and what inspired her to write her great
2: book. Oh, thank you.
1: America at facebook.com forward/voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts
0: do you want to have control over your eating decisions your life and your and your family's health? Do you wish to take action that benefits the planet, humanity, and generations to come? Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Now back to the show.
1: Welcome back. This episode is all about human health and the environment. Yemena, I'm glad to talk about you and your book. And oh, having thank no-
2: you, and having <laughs>
1: thank you. having known you for more than 20 probably 24 25 years, I am always surprised on how people evolve from a personal point of view and how people always figure a way of becoming a better version of themselves. I think that's your case, and um, I am so happy to do this now this interview to you. So, so let me do you a first question, Jimena. Mm-hmm. Can you share with us what was the event in your life that motivated you to approach health from an environmental perspective?
2: Yeah, sure. So we, I've, I've been talking about. I worked for an environmental fund in Mexico for twenty three years.
1: Sounds familiar. I was a
2: CFO. No? <laughs> that sounds, sounds familiar. Right. <laughs> and I was a CFO, so I was more into the numbers and finance and all of those things. Um, beside that, um, working in that environmental fund, I struggled with a lot of health issues my whole life. So I was able to overcome them with some alternative practices and changing my diet and my lifestyle. So. In 2014, I moved to the U.S. and I knew that my professional career as a CFO of this environmental fund was over because back then working remotely was like not a thing. So I started thinking, what should I do? So remembering that I suffered from from these mysterious and sicknesses and uh, all those things I, I went through my whole life and being able to overcome them, I decided to become a health coach. So I started preparing myself to be a health coach. I also became a Reiki uh, therapist, a biomagnetism therapist, and a yoga instructor. So um, when I finished preparing for that part of my life, a new chapter of my life, um, all these background in environment issues kept like calling my name, and I said, "How can I bring those worlds?" Together, the environment and the health, because they seem to be far apart, and actually they're like crossing each other all the time. So, when I finished and I became a health coach, I said, "I'm going to be a health coach. I'm going to be into the human health, of course, but how environment impacts human health, and I want to be and I want to go deeper, and I want to help people not just to feel better, but to do something for to." for for a better world, to have a better environment and for future generations. And that was what motivated me to bring together those two worlds.
1: Fascinating story, Um, Jimena, And and interesting how previously to 2020 and the pandemic um, working remotely was something quite uncommon. And most people have person-to-person meetings now. Um, this uh, experience, this civilizational experience, changed everything, and now, mm-hmm. and now we can combine, and that has been bring, bringing lots of benefits and increasing productivity. We're combining this remote work. So, yeah. so, so, tell us about your book, um, and, and and what inspired you to write it, and 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 tell us also about how did you choose such an amazing title for your book.
2: <laughs> well. I'm going to talk about the title. I I wrote it in Spanish. So I think in Spanish it's a a little bit longer than I would like. In Spanish the name is Por Tu Salud y la del Planeta. But in English, when I translated it into English, we came with the name Healthy Planet, Healthy You. And it was because I was working with some coaches and they were helping me. And we were thinking about words, healthy, healthy, healthy planet, healthy. And then it, it just like, come came to us healthy planet healthy you right so to be healthy in order to be healthy if people want to be healthy we need a healthy environment we need a healthy home how can we expect to be healthy if our home we're damaging our home we're damaging the things we eat the, the food we eat so um that that's how we came with that name And what inspired me to write this was because I was trying to bring those worlds together, the environmental world and the health world, and I didn't know how to bring them. So I started reading and I came across a IPCC report. I think it was 2017. And at some point, in very small letters, it said, reduce your meat consumption. And I was like, wow, I would like to know more about that, because if you read Eat Less Meat in the IPCC report, it it, it doesn't say anything. It doesn't mean anything. Why should I eat less meat? So I decided to go and do some research on my own. And what I found was, of course, (laughs) everything is in the book and I cannot talk about it, but a lot of things that are going on, like some manipulation from the industry, and the government like not wanted to see what's happening. So I, I brought everything into the book. So uh, my inspiration was really trying to bring those worlds together. Finding in this report the words "eat less, less meat," and trying to find out why why eating less meat would mean uh, something uh, or a better world or uh bringing down all the negative effects of climate change. Why? And, yeah, I started doing that research and I found a lot of interesting things and a lot of... I, I say that's why we are sick because of, of all the things we're eating right now. The diet we're having right now in these times, well, it's not like the best diet for human beings. So I decided to write the book to bring to, to help people understand what was going on and without the need of doing the, the research I did. So just have the book and read it uh, from front cover to back cover and understand what is going on and why are we being manipulated and why are we eating what we're eating and what is the damage of, uh, to the environment from what we're eating.
1: Yeah, very interesting. And and, and we, we humans are very visual. Well, at least in my case, I am a very visual person. And it gives me the creeps when I go to the supermarket and I look at other people's shopping carts and, and I see, <laughs> oh my God, if they are going to eat all that processed refined sugar and all of that uh, junk food and pre-packed meal. I mean, I un- I clearly understand that some people need processed foods for convenience and for for because they have several jobs or they they don't have that much time but but they we should make a very uh, a constant exercise on our shopping list and realizing that the less processed foods we buy the better we are and of course this there's the story of the GMO foods and all that so anyhow and and on the title yes I love the title in English English is so succinct and so concise. Healthy planet, healthy you. Beautiful. Okay, now, in your book, you talk about the need to debunk some of the myths we have turned into truth simply by constant repetition or self-deception. The one that stuck with me is what you call the protein myth, or the probably, better said, the animal protein myth. Can you tell us more about it?
2: Yeah. So I've been doing also, well, I've been talking to some kids in, in schools. So I've been giving some talks to kids. And, and whenever I talk about this, I show a picture of fruits, vegetables, seeds, um, the gooms, And I ask them if I say the word protein is this, are these the things that come to your mind? Raise your hand. So nobody raises raises their hands. So, um, Yeah, we have been, like, when we say the word protein, most of the people think about animal protein, animal products. And um, that's something that has been uh, going on because advertisement campaigns and all of those things. But actually, protein is just a long chain of amino acids. Every food we eat has long chains of amino acids, even fruits. Vegetables, seeds, legumes, cereals, everything, not just animal foods. The thing with animal foods is that they are like it's called a complete protein. So proteins are these long chains of amino acids, and we have essential and no essential, non-essential amino acids. So the non-essential amino acids, our body can produce them. The essential amino acids must come from the food we eat. So we have nine essential amino acids that most come from what we eat and animal proteins animal products have all of those essential amino acids the thing with other um, families of foods plant foods is that they don't have the nine essential amino acids they have eight essential amino acids and we cannot lack one essential amino acid we would get sick so we need the nine essential amino acids but if we combine different plant family foods. For example, we combine fruits or vegetables with seeds or cereals. We get a, a, a complete protein. That combination gives us the nine essential amino acids. So, for example, a plate of, a dish of rice and beans is a complete protein. Hummus, when you use the sesame seeds and the garbanzo beans and the olive oil, everything, it, it's also a complete protein. And we have, like, for example, broccoli, which is has a very high content of protein, not complete protein, but if you complement that broccoli with something else, something that has like seeds, that has the, the, the lacking essential amino acid, you will have a very nice and very complete and nutrient um, protein. So we, when we hear the word protein, because all of this, um, campaigns and and you know the the, the 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 food industry is trying to sell us their products. They are, have um, they have told us that the only good protein or complete protein is in animal products, and that's not true. So I talk about that in my book, and I talk about that also in my talks <laughs> when I go and talk to kids, so they understand that. We can get complete proteins. We need to know how to combine those different foods, but we can get a complete protein. And we're not like depending only on animal products because if we keep like eating the amount of animal products we're eating right now, well, of course we're getting sick. Like right now we're dealing with a lot of diseases and things going on with human health, but also there's no space in the planet that amount of animals to feed us so we need to look for an alternative solution which is bringing more plant-based diets to our plates and combining the foods and getting uh, very rich nutrient uh, 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 proteins from those foods
1: yeah well seems to be or it, it doesn't seem it is a win-win solution to eat more uh, plants and less animal protein and and it's good for the planet it's good for you i remember my 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 student years when i did a master's degree in oregon state university um, um i did it at the food science there was a there's a food science department or school and i did Part of my studies were in food science, part of my studies were in marine biology. But I was fascinated by all of this information, obviously, that we didn't have internet in those years. But I have several books that explain the, the, the protein content of foods. And, and yes, absolutely, since then, in this, we're talking about 77, 78, we knew that that you can combine different vegetables. And, and, and plant protein and be a very healthy person. And by the way, Jimena, I love lentil soup. It's one of my favorite <laughs> foods, so so <laughs> I, I'm, I'm getting hungry. OK, now, now you're very enthusiastic about the about the need or the right. Everybody has to question everything. However, that you have concluded some that some questions are more difficult to formulate than others. Because of how our brain works. What are the functions in our brains that make some questions more probable than others?
2: Yeah, well, that's our right to question everything. But I've noticed like um, our generation, when we were kids, we weren't allowed to ask a lot of things. I remember when I was in a class, math class, and the teacher was explaining something, and I asked why, and she said, Because that's what it is what it is. Don't ask. And I said, but I want to understand why. And everybody started shouting, my classmates, like, shut up, don't ask stupid questions. And we weren't allowed to ask a lot. Now, new generations, Gen Z, for example, they're asking everything. And that's amazing. Uh, I love that they're interested and, and they are always looking and asking Suri and Alexa and everything. But what I've seen is that they are asking a lot of things, but they are not asking questions that um, are related to what we're eating. So I was wondering maybe because we're mammals and we have this limbic brain and we're connected to our moms and we make these connections since we're um, little, since we're babies. And of course our mothers teach us what to eat. So maybe that's just part of our survival brain. And we stop asking about that because our mother mothers taught us that and we just bring it to our survival skills and we stop asking about why am i eating what i'm eating and is it good for the environment um so i think that questions that have to do with our survival minds are very difficult to formulate i call them improbable questions and i say that we need to start asking these improbable questions questions that (laughs) in a way Don't cross our mind, and we have to think thoroughly. We have to think about those things to to be able to formulate those questions. And food is one of them. Stop like repeating what our parents or doctors or you know figure of authority uh, told us, and start asking why am I doing this? Even if it's for a survival skill.
1: Great, great, Jimena. Very interesting. Now let me go to, to the our final question in this interview, which is a question I love to make to people and <laughs> when, when when I do podcasts. What gives you hope, Jimena?
2: Yeah, well, what gives me hope is to see that people are awakening, that people are starting to yeah, to ask, that people are like um not happy with what's happening. And that's making us ask more questions. So this these, these um, era, I think it's an era of awakening of ringing consciousness, and I think we're gonna make it because we're just, we're uh, extraordinary creatures. And that, yeah, brings me hope and makes me hopeful.
1: <laughs> well, it's time to go. Thank you, Jimena. I love that answer. It's time to go to the next break. Thank you, Jimena. Thank you for doing this book. Thank you for sharing your personal journey. When we return, we will talk about the things you can do and how to take take action now. So your everyday choices will lead you to optimal health and also align with the global environmental efforts. Stay tuned. America is on LinkedIn connect with us today
0: do you want to have control over your eating decisions your life and your and your family's health do you wish to take action that benefits the planet humanity and generations to come Healthy Planet, Healthy You offers a unique opportunity to increase the public's awareness of vital environmental and health issues while sharing easy-to-apply habits that can change the world. A book you cannot miss. Find it on Amazon. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. Have a question for Jimena and Lorenzo or their guests? Join us on the show at 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. If you're
2: tuning in, we have been talking about health, human health. By the way, today we're celebrating the fifth World Food Safety Day to draw attention and inspire action to help prevent, detect, and manage foodborne risks. This contributes to food security, human health, economic prosperity, agricultural production, market access, tourism, and sustainable development. The theme of this year is Good standards save lives.
1: Well, this is a week of celebration. On yes. Monday, we celebrated the World Environment Day and its theme was solutions to plastic pollution. Breaks my heart when I see sea lions, whales, and other marine life entangled in plastic. And here are some facts we have already talked about, but would be good to keep in mind around 20 million tons of plastic end up in lakes, rivers, and seas annually. That is approximately the weight of 60 Empire State buildings. Two, more than 400 million tons are produced every year, tons of plastic worldwide, half of which is designed to be used only once and less than 10 percent is recycled. Three, marine and coastal species are affected through ingestion, ingestion, entanglement, and other dangers. Four, discarded and single-use plastics pollutes every ecosystem from mountaintops to ocean floors, and not only harm diversity, but human health as well. And five, microplastics find their way into water, air, and yes, of course, food. It's estimated that each person on the planet consumes more than 50,000 plastic microplastic particles per year.
2: Wow, yeah, and it's, not only plastics per se, but the chemicals they absorb. The United Nations Environmental Program, UNEP, released a report that reveals that plastic absorbs organic contaminants, such as DDT and PCBs, which are polychlorinated biphenyls. These compounds can cause chronic effects on human health, including hormonal disruption, genetic alteration, and cancer. When ingested, plastic particles can leak out these compounds into your body. So we're continuously exposed to toxic compounds through the food you eat and your environment.
1: Microplastics are included in personal care products such as toothpaste and skincare products, and also in synthetic textiles. On the average, some 1,900 microplastic fibers can be discarded by a synthetic item during one washing. Just imagine that. Every year, this sums up to 1,500 tons, 1,500,000 tons of microfibers that are released into the oceans the equivalent of 50 billion plastic bottles. Microplastics are also formed when plastic items fragment and disintegrate. The rate at which fragmentation occurs is highly dependent on the environmental setting especially temperature and the amount of uv light available and hitting on these plastics
2: yeah and we talk about plastics uh, in a previous episode so the quantity and quality of information we're constantly receiving assures us that being sick or having a medical condition is the new normal but the truth is that being healthy and happy is our birthright so what's happening the answer is simple we have forgotten that everything is connected and we keep ignoring the link between our health and the environmental condition The health problems we're seeing these days have their roots in an environment loaded with toxic chemicals I recently recently read the following Many of the ways we harm our environment come back to haunt us in the form of sickness And it's not only what we eat we're in contact with what we put in our bodies is just as important as we put as what we put on and around our bodies
1: wow this expression or this idea of many of the ways we harm the environment come back to haunt us in the form of sickness just just think about the pandemic i mean that would have been also uh, we harming the environment and then the this incredibly backlash that we had but anyhow Yes, that's that's, that's true. Um, um, let me give you an example, Jimena. There are over 8,000 different chemicals regularly used in textile production, many of them so toxic that are illegal in other products. One of the most popular GMO crops is not something that we put in our mouths, it's mm-hmm. something we wear. Also known as the dirty scrub, gmo cotton is a fiber that is used to make fabric for clothing and other materials it is known as the dirtiest because it's one of the most heavily sprayed crops requiring on a global scale 200,000 tons of pesticides and 8 million tons of fertilizer every year yeah Ooh. Ooh, that's a big amount you might not have you might not have think about it but most of your clothes come with depleted soils on regional levels of water consumption dependence on synthetic fibers and pesticides, shameful conditions for farmers, and injustice around the world. The amount of water needed to make a pair of jeans is the water for the one person drinks in 12 years, and that is really impressive. Yeah. In India, 100 million people don't have full access to drinking water, for example.
2: Yeah, injustice. Yeah, and the toxics, Toxic compounds on fertilizers and pesticides persist in the fabric even after manufacturing and washing. So we put them next to our skin every day. And the skin is the largest organ in your body with millions of tiny pores that have absorption capabilities. So for you to understand the absorption capabilities of the skin, there are studies that show that certain chemical compounds containing, for example, pajamas can be found in a child's urine five days after wearing those PJs for one night. And we've been talking about how exposure to toxic or dangerous substances create health vulnerabilities, but there are other factors that can impact your health, like, of course, air pollution, water quality, infrastructure, global environmental issues, climate change, and natural disasters. For example, according to the Center um, for Health and the Global Environmental at Harvard Medical School. Climate change over the coming decades is likely to increase rates of allergies, asthma, heart disease, and cancer, among other illnesses. And it's also expected to cause around 250,000 deaths per year between, between the years 2030 to 2050
1: terrible figures the office of disease prevention and health promotion has estimated that more than 12 million people around the world die every year because they live or work in unhealthy environments it's been proven that environmental pollutants can cause health problems like respiratory diseases heart diseases and some types of cancer people with low income are more likely to live in polluted areas and have unsafe drinking water. And of course, children and pregnant women are at higher risk of health problems related to pollution. So as environmental factors continue to adversely affect individual and community well-being, environmental health advocacy has become a top priority in the public health field. Professionals in the environmental health field examine how people interact with the world around them, assessing the many ways these interactions can impact physical fitness vulnerability to diseases and other aspects of human wellness but but there's also the good side of nature in the future episodes we will also talk about the immense benefits that spending time in nature brings to our health
2: yeah and you were talking about these scientists or um, i mean professional health professionals that are examining, you know, the many ways these interactions happen. And of course, again, everything is connected. So these environmental pollutants can have an impact on our physical, but also on our mental health. They impact uh, our mental wellness by changing brain structure and function. Research shows that the presence of toxins and pollutants inside our homes can trigger mental health issues as well as increase the risk of anxiety. So your environment might rise or low lower your stress levels and this can change your mental wellness overall.
1: Absolutely. Every, every I try to go every Saturday spend a few hours or, or at least a half a day in the mountains and and I I don't know how to measure but I guess my mental wellness improves. <laughs> So strategic efforts to improve environmental health are taking an important place in political agendas to enhance wellness for individuals, families, and communities. On the 8th of October 2021, the United Nations Human Rights Council declared that having a clean, healthy, and sustainable environment is a human right. But in order to make this a reality, to provide everyone with a clean, healthy, and sustainable environment, we, as a collective, need to reframe our relationship with the natural world and be active and smart consumers.
2: Yeah, it's amazing to me that this was declared on 2021, like two years, less than two years ago. Um, it should have been like forever, right? That's a human right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> to reframe our relationship with the planet, we must invite curiosity in our lives Ask, 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 question everything. For instance, we need to understand the reality of the systems that feed, clothe, communicate and shelter us to recognize what needs to be changed. Like never before, the choices we make as consumers can shape the world. But to shape a new world, a new and better world for everyone, we have to change how we manage our impulse for instant gratification. Commitment to generation is the only way to bring nature closer to our daily lives, but of course, regeneration takes time.
1: Yes, in the past, environmental health problems have been addressed by controlling a single chemical or exposure. However, today's problems require more innovative and holistic solutions to address the complex effects, complex effects on human health. Planetary health solutions for a better and more resilient future need to include societies, communities, and their ecosystems, but also review and make desirable changes to our current political, economical, and so- social structures.
2: Very, so important. We, very, we, very important, yeah.
1: We are approaching the end of this episode, Jimena. So yeah. let's do a quick recap. Uh, we have talked uh, bioengineering foods in the market. We have talked about microplastics. We have talked about cotton and GMO crops, we have talked about some of the factors that can impact human health. And we have more importantly said that we have millions of people, 12 million estimated in the world dying every year because Mm. we have an unhealthy environment.
2: Yes, that's right. Now, the positive side, what are the things you can do? First of all, bring curiosity to your life So this means question everything to become a responsible consumer. Think about these improbable questions. Number two, stop buying synthetic fibers. Buy organic to increase the demand and supply or secondhand clothes. Number three, if it's within your possibilities, buy your food from regenerative or holistic farms. Number four, reduce your plastic consumption and remember that some cosmetics and personal care products contain microplastics. And five, if... Possible, stop using synthetic household chemicals inside and outside your home.
1: Yes, definitely. Well, we're getting close to end this episode, but Jimena, I must say, I'm always encouraged by the things we can do. Remember that whatever we do as individuals, families and communities adds to the global solution and makes us messengers of hope and responsible ancestors. I am looking forward to our next conversation where we'll go deeper into food waste and how our meals are harming the environment.
2: So, yeah, so excited.
1: <laughs> well, Jimena, hasta la próxima. This has been yeah. a great... Thank you for this fascinating topic. Thank you for your book and see you next week.
2: Thank you for tuning in and joining us in casual conversations about health and nature. Any healthy planet, healthy you... Nos vemos la próxima semana. We hope you join us next week. Bye. Bye. Hasta
0: la próxima. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Healthy Planet, Healthy You with Jimena Yanez and Lorenzo Rosenzweig. We hope you've learned something new today that can help you in your life and how to make this a better planet. Until next time, have a healthy and regenerative week.